This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, April 16th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. Congressman Russ Fulcher of Idaho isn't from a border state, but he says illegal immigration still impacts his state. He joins me on the Daily Signal podcast to discuss. Plus, we hit on the Biden administration's vaccine passports and why they are a threat to privacy. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. Democrats have launched a formal effort to increase the size of the U.S. Supreme Court. Senator Ed Markey, Democrat of Massachusetts, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Gerald Nadler, Democrat of New York, and Judiciary Committee members Mondaire Jones, Democrat of New York, and Hank Johnson, Democrat of Georgia, held a press conference outside the Supreme Court on Thursday. They argued for the expansion of the high court from nine justices to 13. Senator Markey said expanding the court is needed because the United States Supreme Court is broken per Forbes. We have a stilted, illegitimate 6-3 conservative majority on the court that has caused this crisis of confidence in our country. The Republicans stole two seats on the Supreme Court, and now it is up to us to repair that damage. Our democracy is in jeopardy today because the Supreme Court standing is sorely damaged. And the way we repair it is straightforward. We undo the damage that the Republicans have done by restoring balance. And we do it by adding four seats to the court to create a 13-member Supreme Court. These four new seats to be filled by President Biden will reconstitute the United States Supreme Court. The bench will then rightly reflect the values of the majority of the American people on whose behalf they serve. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said during a press conference Thursday that she does not have any plans to bring the Democrat-backed bill to the House floor for a vote. But Pelosi did say she supports President Joe Biden's commission to examine whether or not the court should be expanded. And she added that expanding the court is not out of the question. President Joe Biden has placed new sanctions on Russia for its election interference and cyber hacks. In his statement, the White House said, President Biden signed a new sanctions executive order that provides strengthened authorities to demonstrate the administration's resolve in responding to and deterring the full scope of Russia's harmful foreign activities. This EO sends a signal that the United States will impose costs in a strategic and economically impactful manner on Russia if it continues or escalates its destabilizing international actions. Is there a disparity in charges between the January 6th U.S. Capitol rioters and rioters in Portland? That was the question Oklahoma Republican Representative Mark Wayne Mullen asked FBI Director Christopher Wray on Thursday during a House Select Committee on Intelligence hearing. Let's take a listen to their exchange per the Washington Examiner. Under the Biden administration, there appears to be a wave of leniency being granted to individuals arrested for federal crimes in Portland. Federal prosecutors are apparently approving deferred resolution agreements in a number of cases and allowing perpetrators to do community service and avoid uh, jail time and criminal records. 
Uh, why are we seeing such a disparity between the individuals charged in January 6 and those that are charged in Portland? Well, let me answer that in two ways. I think the first part, uh, which is probably the most important part, is that charging decisions, prosecutorial decisions, are not made by the FBI, but are made by no, the but you make suggestions. Offices. I get that. I understand um, that. But you that's, absolutely that's an bring important distinction. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But you absolutely bring, uh, um, bring the charges to them, and then they decide how they're going to charge them. Is that correct? But we investigate, we bring the facts, and, and they decide what, whether to, right. so a question about whether to defer prosecution would be a decision by the prosecutor. But do you think there's a disparity between the two of how they're being prosecuted January well, 6th? Well, so that gets to the second point, which is, I think, uh, you know, in many cases, charges related to the Capitol. I, that's not are, what I'm asking. Is there a difference between the two, the way they're being charged? You have 140 plus federal officers that have been injured in Portland alone. You have federal buildings that have been attacked, been burned, been stormed. And you're not treating it the same as you are with January 6th. Would you agree with that? Yes or no? I believe we are taking, we, the FBI, are taking a consistent approach in both situations. Consistent? The, each, each I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. You don't even know how many federal officers you've been charged. Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who's charged with the death of George Floyd, said he won't be testifying in his own defense. Here is his exchange with Lee defense attorney Eric Nelson via Bloomberg Quick Takes. Have you made a decision uh, today whether you intend to testify or whether you intend to invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege? Uh, I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today. Is this your decision not to testify? It is, Your Honor. All right. Do you have any questions about your right to remain silent or to testify on your own behalf? Not at this time, I don't. All right. Is anyone... Uh, promise anything or threatened you in any way to keep you from testifying? No promises or threats, Your Honor. Do you feel that your decision not to testify is a voluntary one on your behalf? Yes, it is. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Congressman Russ Fulcher of Idaho. Never has it been more important for us to fight for America. Each day we see the penalties of progressive policies across our nation. Our elections are under assault, our economic freedom is on the decline, and our culture is turning its back on the founding principles that have made us the freest, most prosperous nation in history. That's why the Heritage Foundation developed a plan to take on the left and take back our country. The Citizen's Guide to Fight for America provides a series of heritage-recommended action items delivered on a regular basis to your inbox. Make an impact in your community and in our country. Sign up for the Citizen's Guide at heritage.org slash citizensguide and join in the fight for America today. I'm joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Congressman Russ Fulcher of Idaho. Congressman Fulcher, it's so great to have you on the Daily Signal podcast. Well, wonderful. Thank you for having me on today. Well, it's great to have you with us. You recently had an amendment that Democrats blocked, but this amendment would have stopped taxpayer-funded benefits for illegal immigrants. So, Congressman Fulcher, can you tell us about your amendment and what it would have done had Democrats not blocked it? Sure. Well, I have this uh, belief that that uh, you should be following the law if you're going to if you're going to take advantage of some of the things that this country has to offer, and one of those things has to be insurance coverage and and the coverages the uh, the US government provides to typically for taxpayers and that's basically what uh, what I was doing as I was taking issue with 
uh, with the uh, the fact that immigrants are getting some of these benefits uh, by, in effect, by uh, uh, as a re- result of breaking the law. And I just don't think that is that's right. But in order to understand the entire picture, you have to understand what the Democrat motive is. They want the open borders. They want people coming in that, that are receiving government benefits, that are getting addicted to those government benefits, that are becoming dependent on those government benefits, because they are more likely over time to support the Democrats and put that in place. That's how they're growing their party. That's how they're trying to uh, get control in a, in a substantial margin over the course of time. And that's, the, that's uh, at the root of this very problem. Well, speaking of this problem, we've just seen the situation at the border escalate and become more and more of a crisis. And so I wanted to hear from you, uh, just your perspective on what's happening there right now. It's uh, bad and it's getting worse. And you you have the combination of problems. You've got this crush of people trying to get in. And they're truly trying to to, uh, better their employment, better their lives. Uh, This president, as a candidate, advertised that he was going to open things up, that he wasn't going to be deporting people. Uh, They believed it. They heard it. They took him up on it. And so here they come. And uh, the ramifications have been horrific. The cartels, who actually control the border, have now engaged with trafficking people, not just uh, – sex and and drugs the way they typically have and so by default they are controlling our border because our border officials are busy trying to accommodate uh the uh, the number of of people that are showing up the unaccompanied minors it's a terrible situation the profits are going to cartels the the losers in this particular case are the people that are are coming in as immigrants and the conditions that they're under and the american taxpayer who's footing the bill for this and uh and the 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 presidency the administration is woefully uh not doing anything about it they're allowing this to happen this is a crisis on your monumental level I believe it's over 100,000 per month at this point, the engagements that we've got, the apprehensions that we have on that southern border. And it's uh, that doesn't even begin to address some of the homeland security concerns that are coming in. People that they're not coming from Guatemala or uh, Mexico or Honduras are coming from Middle Eastern nations that we, we are finding or China. So uh, when you open up your borders, you relinquish your control as a nation, and uh, uh, we're putting our, our citizens in horrific harm's way. Well, even though Idaho is not a border state, I wanted to hear from you. Does illegal immigration impact Idaho? Oh, no question. I mean, uh, drug and sex trafficking impacts everyone, and we're feeling the effects of that. Uh, our our citizens, our taxpayers as well, we have to pay for services through federal taxes that uh, are being expended here. We have a, a very large dairy and ag industry. The dairy industry in particular has relied upon immigrants for a lot of the of the labor. And that's not always been legal. And so we, we see the impacts of that and the, the uh, ramifications of in-person teaching to uh, illegal students, which is mandated by our state and by federal uh, laws. And so it has a very significant impact on us. We haven't had the, the gang activity that some states have had, but nevertheless, there is some. And that's only going to grow as that population continues. And, you know, Rachel, we just have to also keep in mind, Orderly immigration 
legal immigration is good for everyone, including the immigrants. We immigrate in this nation on a legal basis over the course of a year more than every other nation in the world combined. And so it's not like we're not open to immigration. But what I'm saying is is that it has to be orderly. We have to enforce the law. And I cannot – it's just unfathomable to me that this administration is, is, uh, is not – uh, living up to to uh, the uh, the legal responsibilities that it has. Well, you mentioned uh, the fact for legal immigration. Are there any sort of fixes or reforms you see uh, that could be potentially used down the road to um, you know begin to address the you know the crisis we have when it comes to uh, you know having people come in legally versus illegally? As long as there is quality work conditions in the U.S. and not so much in the rest of the world, we're going to see the, uh, this pressure. As long as there are entities in the world that don't like America, and that will be forever, uh, we're going to see problems in this area. However, we can control it. We can enforce the law. We can do things that will make it better. And I don't want to just make unwarranted parallels, but the previous president really did take some steps. He took some steps to put a border wall in place. He took some steps to empower the law enforcement down there and ICE and the border control and give them resources they need and enforce the law and did things with the governments of neighboring nations and other nations that made it clear we're not just going to be this porous uh, line where, where just anyone can come through for any reason. Those are simplistic things. They're not necessarily easy to do, but it was working. Comparatively speaking, if you take a look at the number of counters, I got some data yesterday. There was 34,000 encounters in March of 20. There's 172, more than 172,000 in March of 21. So we can see what the difference of policy enforcement or lack thereof does. Simply enforcing the law is a uh, was a major step in the positive direction. Well, moving on uh, from the border for a minute, uh, something else you've recently been working on is you led a group of 26 House members to send a letter to President Biden regarding uh, this potential potential vaccine passport program that's been discussed. Can you tell us about the letter and what it said? Well, first and foremost, uh, up until very recently, the president has not been meeting with members of Congress and uh, has not been willing to meet with me. And up until very recently, apparently not even with the leadership of our party. And so uh, that was the genesis of writing a letter. I would much rather have had the conversation in person, but nevertheless uh, initiated a letter it has to do with vaccine passports. This whole notion of uh, uh an individual a citizen American having to uh, prove that they received a vaccine for certain privileges is uh, is something that uh, I take great offense to and what also that could lead to, um, for example, how that information gets tracked, how that information is owned and transferred. Uh, there has been published reports of the administration having contacts with technology companies about creating apps for uh, the tracking of people with vaccines and uh, their records. It begs the question, is it is it compliant with HIPAA, uh, Health Insurance Portability Accountability Act? And, and uh, if there's that activity going going on, do these tech companies now own that data? Uh, if they transfer it, what happens to it? Uh, where, where does that data reside? Um, 
there's the personal privacy concerns, which I have great, uh, great concerns about as well. And uh, here, here we're talking about uh, you know the U.S. government potentially restricting the uh, uh, movement, uh, restricting the personnel within our own nation over this, and and I think it's just it's just simply wrong. You've got legitimate concerns, people who want to opt out of that vaccine. How do they be affected by that? Some are concerned about pregnant women taking the vaccine. How will they be affected by that? So my letter was to the president, and it was urging him not to go down this path. There were 25 to 30 other members who signed on to that particular letter, and uh, and a number of states, including Idaho, has taken has followed on that too, and said that they're not going to enforce such a mandate if it comes through. Have you received any sort of response yet from the administration or uh, people, officials that may have received? It? Have you received any sort of discussion or response or nothing? No response from the administration. I uh, did get a response from uh, a few state legislators, and uh, uh, and the. This was something that they felt was a good idea, that their state was going to follow up on that. Uh, had some had some discussion from other members who were concerned similarly with how big tech, if you will, those who are currently censoring uh, people and discriminating, how they may play a role in all this and, and, and the fact that they oppose that. So, But nothing that has come directly from the administration. Well, something else that you've talked a little bit about on Twitter um, is this new study that estimates that the tax increases in President Biden's infrastructure proposal will cost about one million jobs. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on here and just that that potential number, that cost of one million jobs? Yeah, for for 24 years before being in uh, in Congress or in, in uh, the state legislature, I was in the technology world. I was in the uh, worldwide technology business, had a lot of employees over the course of that time. And uh, I learned that uh, uh, people perform better when they are allowed to keep more of what they earn. In other words, if, if, if they're performing, they're going to produce more if they can keep more of what they earn, they're going to invest more, they're going to spend more, and that's going to have positive ramifications throughout the economy. So when the president starts talking about raising taxes on on people, whether they're making more than the average or not, then in my view, what's happening is you're penalizing that performance. And that's what he's doing. And it's going to have a very negative impact. And so people who have businesses, people that are employing, are going to be much uh, more obliged to send that work offshore to they're going to send that work overseas. And uh, that's exactly what we don't want. We want to encourage that to be taking place within the U.S. And so uh, I have very significant concerns. So ironically, when the president is saying this tax increase is going to translate to a, uh, a much better infrastructure that much I agree with him on. The problem is it's not the U.S. infrastructure. It's going to be China's infrastructure. It's going to be India's infrastructure because our jobs are going there. He is taking exactly the wrong approach. Well, lastly, you've commented on some of these things already, but what I wanted to wrap up on is just what is your perspective of the Biden administration so far? We're about four months in, give or take a little bit. Um, and I guess what's your opinion on what we've seen happen since President Biden has uh, come into office? 
Well, first of all, I like a lot of people, I don't know for sure who is really behind some of the decisions. Um, there's questions that uh, that I have about um, whether or not he's making some of these decisions or not. But if you're a conservative, if you are a free market uh, capitalist, if you are someone who believes in individual liberty and uh, uh, independence, this is not the administration for you. And it's my hope that we can portray to as many Americans as possible that uh, this is not the path that a republic goes down. I'm not talking about democracy. We are not a democracy. We're a republic. This is not the governance, and this is not the policies of a republic. And this is you cannot maintain a republic with these policies. We're spending ourselves to uh, to oblivion. We're sending invoices to our grandkids with these major bills, and uh, we're going the wrong direction. So it's my hope that we can message that, we can show what's going on to the American people, and in 20 months, we can overturn the leadership, at least in the U.S. House, to stop some of this and uh, start pointing ourselves back towards that free market capitalistic uh, society that has created more wealth than any other nation in the history of the world combined. So uh, that's my hope. Well, Congressman Fulcher, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Signal podcast. It's been great having you with us. Rachel, thank you so much. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all on Monday. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.